On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Josh Sherbinsky. He is the VP of Data at Zeus Living. We're going to be talking about balancing your quality output and speed that your team's performing at. And also we're going to touch on burning out. Like lots of teams are pushing hard, getting quality product out. And obviously the last thing you want is somebody to hit the wall and well, have to deal with that. Josh, thanks for being on the podcast to chat about this. Thank you. Absolutely. Tell everybody what you do at Zeus Living and also, you know, what does Zeus Living do? So I'm the VP of data at Zeus. I lead the analytics, data engineering, machine learning, and pricing teams. There are people here in the US and over in Singapore working on these teams. And Zeus is a fully furnished provider of 30 plus day stay housing here in the United States. So we have a marketplace of our own properties of about a few thousand that we manage directly. And then we have partnerships that also allow us to expand across the United States. And all these places are, are fully furnished for anybody across the United States. Very cool. Very cool. Just out of curiosity, how big is the... Uh, I guess you're responsible for, you know, as the VP of data for different areas. How big a team do you uh, manage? So right now, it's about 20 people. Pre-COVID, we were a little bigger. We were, I think, 25 plus. And then right after COVID, we downsized a little bit. So we fluctuated up and down. But right now, it's about 20 people. So I guess, you know, we want to talk about, and I guess this is going to be an interesting episode because from the you know, perspective of you know, producing on the data side, you know, burning out, requirements shifting, you know, making sure you find an optimal speed. These are all slightly different, you know, maybe challenges than if you're dealing with software engineering or a different area. I guess high, high level, maybe we can start out to understand how your team's structured. I'm assuming you guys are agile scrum, but maybe just touch base on how the team actually runs. Yeah, I mean, because we have a very diverse set of skills on the team, we have the analytics team, which is focusing on day-to-day problems. We have the data engineering and machine learning teams, which are building more data products, data architecture, pipelines. And then we have a pricing team, which is really business-focused and focused on making sure that basically prices are right on the site, that we're making sure that we're priced all the incoming units correctly. We have just this very diverse set of skills, also problems that we're trying to tackle. So we do do sprints on the data engineering, machine learning sides. We're, we're really t- like closely on the software engineering. But on the other side, we also do daily standups. So that's kind of key about how we kind of cross-communicate between the teams. We do daily standups you know, with all the people on the teams every single day, three days a week with Singapore since there's just a, a time lag. But every single day on the pricing side and the analytics and the data engineering side. Interesting. You mentioned Singapore. I guess at one point you're 25, you're 20 now. How much of the teams outside the country? It's close to half and half. It's almost 50-50. So we have all the machine learning and some of the data engineering over in Singapore. And we actually just hired another analytics person for Singapore. So right now it's about 50-50 split between the US and Singapore. Interesting. I guess in the vein of this topic of talking about balancing your team speed and producing quality and, and you know, obviously having burnout in the back of your mind as well. How do you split up the work? I guess, you know, you have a team fairly distributed, making sure that you guys are executing on that execution model. How does that get split up so that we can get a little insight into that? Because of the time lag, it really makes things difficult if you're really bouncing back and forth. So we have clear areas of ownership. So the machine learning team that's in Singapore, they own all the machine learning around search and availability. There's a couple systems that they own 
And they're like direct managers of it. And so we really have to delineate ownership between the US and Singapore. In the United States, you know, we have the pricing team actually is here since most of the business people are here. So they handle all the pricing decisions. They handle all the talking to the business owners and making sure that, you know, the revenue management and the supply pricing is correct in our sites. And then, you know, the data engineering team is probably the one area that's split a little bit between the US and Singapore, but we do have areas of ownership within the data engineering team where anything that has to do with Kafka, real-time stra- um, you know, streaming data is being owned by Singapore. And then more of our business analytics, BI type of stuff is being owned by the US. And when you're looking at that and you're trying to, I guess, focus on the optimal balance of speed and quality, when you're setting up the initial sprint and you're kind of outlaying the work, you obviously have this you know, distinct skill set that's here and obviously the rest is offshore. How do you approach figuring out that timing to make sure obviously you have enough cushion, you have enough work, but you're not creating bottlenecks down the road? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And that, that's actually um, why I said maybe we touched a little bit on the burnout when we were talking is, you know, it, it was a lot of trial error at first. We've come up with a, a system now that seems to work. But initially, we had these different machine learning algorithms that were being split out into, into Singapore. And, you know, the search and availability one is actually core to our whole business. The whole website doesn't work without this search and availability. And a lot of people are highly dependent on their output. And so making sure that they have a clear understanding of what the business requirements are going to be and the schedule isn't too aggressive is key to make their success. We also have to do communication between the teams too. So anything that they do is communicated across teams. You know, not only in, in Singapore on the teams, but also to the US. So, you know, over the last year, we've iterated on our search and availability system multiple times. We had a big, huge change that came right after COVID. And we did a, it was just basically a completely refactor of the whole system. And one of the things we learned was that we had set some very aggressive timelines for the Singapore team. And they were trying to keep up with this timeline and they were pushing themselves. They were really working pretty hard. And, you know, the quality started to slip. You know, we started introducing a lot of bugs since a lot of teams were dependent on the output from the system. We needed to figure out a better way of balancing this quality and speed because, you know, just doing, you know, fast work wasn't always the best. So one of the things we worked through was really trying to figure out, you know, how do we get this quality? And, you know, it's hard because you can't really slow down development, you know, when other people are dependent on your systems. You also want to set aggressive timelines that, you know, when the whole company is depending on the output of what you do, you can't really slow down and say, hey, you know, this is going to take this long, you know, just because we don't want to introduce any bugs. So we really were thinking about new ways of this balancing quality and speed. And what we thought about was more testing. And so the initial solution that we had deployed over in Singapore was it was basically doing a lot more unit testing, a lot more component level testing, a lot more integration level testing. And, you know, that worked somewhat. It helped us basically catch some bugs. You know, obviously when you're when you're looking at things that are at the unit level, you're you're not making you know fat finger mistakes or or any sort of like logic, small logic changes. But the system, because it's so interdependent on everything, we had to kind of think outside the box of how to balance this quality and speed. And and what we ended up finding that worked for us actually was end-to-end testing. So um, making sure that whatever the system was outputting was exactly what the business owners need and what the other engineering teams needed. So that really was a kind of eye-opener for us was to 
start incorporating this end-to-end testing a lot more, making sure that you know whatever was output was what was going to be needed by these other teams. And that's been a huge help on a lot of different systems that we've done on the data side. We have a couple of other machine learning products that know what's going to happen when you change some small factor in. But we know some basic parameters that they have to meet from the business standpoint. And if they don't meet these things, then they're not going to be correct. And the whole business is going to kind of like be looking at you. So this end-to-end testing has kind of been our godsend as of late. You mentioned there's an obviously evolution. You said more testing. You started with unit testing, more integration level testing, and then you went to you know, more end-to-end testing. When you first started shifting into the concept of more testing, maybe just go a little bit deeper and talk about, you know, initially you started unit testing. What were you finding that that wasn't enough and, and how much testing to maybe put some context around it? So one of the systems that we actually do is this pricing system. It actually uses an ensemble of multiple machine learning models. I actually, from my background, I've done a lot of test-driven design. So I was like, okay, I can start building some tests that really basically uh, you know, take the logic within the system and make sure that that's correct. And um, you know, we could build some unit tests around those things and make sure that each component is working fine. But when you put the whole system together, you know, there's outputs that come out from each part of these components, each one of these models that you know, may impact all the other models. And so you know, the component-level testing doesn't really work on something that's very highly complex. And you, know, you may basically make sure one component works really well and doesn't have any bugs in it, but that output may impact other parts of the system. And so the whole output, when it comes out at the very end, is wrong. That was one thing where we started with the smaller unit-level testing, the component-level testing, and we just didn't see it was enough. And on the uh, integration testing, the search and availability system that we have over in Singapore, I'd mentioned how there's a lot of different parts of the business that are dependent on it. We had tried to do a lot more integration testing where you know the engineering teams would define what the output would be, and then they would build to this, and the team would you know make sure that they would pass all these integration tests. But because we were moving very fast and we were changing things all the time, you know if something changed on the engineering side, they had to go back and make sure that this integration test got updated, the documentation got updated for them, and really we ended up having a lot of back and forth, and and people didn't, were pointing fingers all the time on. You know, oh, you changed this, you changed that, and and who actually was to blame for why something was failing overall on, the, on this whole system? These are the little things that you know where the integration testing wasn't enough, and neither was the component level and the unit level testing. I guess when you were looking at testing, that makes a lot of sense, and and I was just kind of curious. The rest of the company, and I don't know how much you could talk to this about it, but if you can. How much testing were they doing? Let's say the software engineering, and and the reason I'm asking, I'm kind of curious is. Did you guys share information on best practices on testing? Was there a lot of collaboration or was this more of a data-centric, we're coming up with the right testing level, the testing suite that we need on our side over focusing on what maybe the you know, other teams are doing outside of data? We're very highly integrated with the rest of engineering. So there was a lot of sharing around you know, what sort of testing do we need. I also said that you know we were trying to move pretty fast. I mean, this is during COVID when you know speed and nimbleness were like key, and no one knew it was going to happen <laughs> the next week. And so uh, we were like, we really need to move fast. And so you know, we were sharing ideas with engineering. All these integration tests that were set up; these were collaborations with the engineering team. But no one really knew, you know, the right sort of level of testing. It, it was kind of one of these balancing and, and trial and error where we're like, well, let's try doing more. You know, unit level testing. Let's try doing more integration testing. 
we tried to do some um, API documentation softwares that we found, some integration standards uh, that we had found online too. You know, it was a direct collaboration with the engineering team, but you know, I think just trying to balance how fast we were moving at that time, we didn't have a lot of time to really kind of just say, hey, how are we going to plan all the all these tests out? You know, what's going to be the best of all? And you know, it didn't work because I think everybody was moving at hyper speed at that point. I guess when you were talking about everyone's moving at hyperspeed, you guys contracted a little bit, some more work to be done. Was burnout, I know we were going to talk about, I was just curious, but was that a concern? Because obviously, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get the testing right. You guys have less people already. Did that factor in, in, in any of the uh, considerations? Or, you know, obviously you guys are fast-moving startups, so it goes with the territory a bit. I mean, the quality decline was really, I would say, a symptom of the burnout. All of the people that are on the team are very good at what they do. We have some great, great engineers. We have some great data scientists and, and data engineers too. And you know, I think when people are just moving very fast and after they've gotten so tired, they start to make some mistakes. And in the case of the burnout, we actually you know, experienced quite a bit of burnout on the Singapore side. It was a, a, a new team. They had a new manager. They... You know, we're really kind of getting their feet underneath them. And, you know, you have this like uncertainty of COVID. You have this big project that they were working on that was highly complex and, and intertwined with the rest of the company. And, you know, a couple of times when deadlines started to slip, they were really feeling like they had to work extra hours. And so they were working night and day, weekends. And we realized that, you know, something had to be done at that point. And so, you know, this is when we recognized that burnout was happening. And we decided to make changes, you know, on the testing side, we decided to make changes on the management style over there. We really helped coach through the new manager over there, making sure that he was aware of the timelines that he was setting and that they weren't overly aggressive, but they were like moving fast enough and also coached him on how to de-scope things when they do get a little too complicated or fall behind. And also just to make sure that, you know, he was aware of the emotional and mental health of the people on his team. You know, there's a lot of soft skills when it comes to burnout that you can learn. And really, that ended up helping us with that burnout over there in, in Singapore. And I'm glad to say that everything now, people are moving incredibly fast. And you know, we don't have any more of that burnout over in, in Singapore. I mean, the team's fully... Yeah, they're distributed permanently. So obviously, with the impact of COVID, they already were outside of your direct you know, maybe reach here. And I don't know how distributed the team was before. But when it comes to, I guess, dealing with burnout and distributed teams, and obviously trying to help them, you know, reduce that. Like, is that an open dialogue with the team? Are they pretty open? Hey, we're running out of steam. We're burning out based on some of these requirements. Were you just picking up on it based on work output? So um, I think it really struck home when we had a couple of people over on the team actually leave the company. Obviously, that raised red flags over here. We didn't know as much as we probably should have about what was going on in Singapore. There was just a lot of focuses and a lot of things going on at the company. And so it really raised red flags when we did have a couple of people decide to leave the company. That's when we decided that we need to do a change. And, and one of the changes that we did do was making sure that two-way communication was opened up, not only between the US and Singapore, making sure that we were talking. Um, I was actually meeting with the manager over there every single day I was coaching him. I was also helping him on, you know, helping him learn some of the softer skills, opening up the communication between his team and him as a manager. 
so they could communicate, you know, how they were feeling and, you know, uh, let them know that they were basically taking on too much. And one of the things that I really kind of harped on him was to make sure that he empowered his team to say no. I think this is one of the things that junior engineers find it very hard to do. They always want to play the hero. They want to say they can keep on taking on more and more things. And what it ends up doing is that they take on too much. They end up working way too many hours and they burn themselves out. What we did was really empower the team to say, hey, this is too much. We need to set more realistic goals or de-scope this. Just basically allowing the team to actually push back. And I've actually told multiple people on my, on my team, like, push back if this is too much and, and making sure that they understand they can say no. You know, And I actually think it's more of a senior quality for someone to recognize that something is impossible to do under the timelines and, and say no than to take it on and try to play the hero and, and burn yourself out. Yeah, and I guess when you guys are going through your sprint planning session and you know, before someone on the team you know, might be taking on more work, they're saying yes, you start realizing they're not delivering, they're starting to sink. When is the trigger point of going in, hey, let's take a step back and maybe have senior people evaluate how much work you're taking on? Is that something that the team was needing to do? Or was it more about, you know, just at one point it was a clean slate of, all right, we need to just make this change now? There was a slow recognition that quality was declining over in Singapore and, and some of the output. You know, there were just a lot more bugs being introduced. But I think, you know, once we had the turnover, that was the eye opener. That was like, okay, this needs to be fixed right away. And, you know, we let, you know, at the exact level we had to meet, we had to talk about everything and figure out a plan. And so I think there are red flags seeing more bugs being introduced than typical. Like I said, this team is amazing engineers and they've been able to do some amazing things over there. And when we started to see some of these bugs just being introduced, um, you know, it wasn't really typical of what their output. So I think that is probably the first red flag that, you know, in hindsight, I would have seen that they're basically their just quality had gone down and it was just, they were pushing things out too fast. They weren't getting enough sleep. They were trying to keep up with what they had promised originally on the timeline and, and it just, it didn't work. And so in hindsight, like I said, there probably were some red flags uh, and quality was probably the biggest one of it, biggest one. Interesting. I mean, if you're now looking forward and kind of taking what you learned as the VP of data, as the manager, how do you make some adjustments from your perspective moving forward? I mean, hopefully now we can put some things into place now that it doesn't happen anymore. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think basically the communication is the biggest one, allowing people to communicate that they are being overworked. But also, you know, from my standpoint, I have to be aware of things as far as quality. And, and I do hear things across the business about when bugs are introduced. And so if I'm starting to see that bugs are being introduced more often, then that's a red flag for me to be aware that, that maybe people are facing burnout. And, uh, you know, even after the Singapore office was, you know, after we had done this kind of deep dive into them and helped them, you know, get on their feet and make sure they were back on their, on their you know, their same output. There was other parts of the business that, you know, we started to see some bugs. And, and I probably was someone who was introducing the bugs on them. And it was just on the pricing side. And so I think over the last three months, we actually had a few bugs being introduced on the pricing side. And every time we do, it's very visible across the company. We lose thousands of dollars when there are pricing bugs. And I actually probably had to take a look at myself and say, hey, I think I'm taking on too much stuff. And so we decided to actually uh, get more people onto this project 
you know, we decided to, you know, slow down development on the pricing systems. But I think that's the major thing to be aware of going forward is when these bugs start being introduced and, you know, seeing them arise from different stakeholders across the business is probably the biggest telltale sign of burnout or pushing too fast. You know, I think it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of times, you know, stuff happens in real time and you just don't know. And then it's after the fact and you make some adjustments and, and hopefully you correct it moving forward. But I think a lot of times it's really difficult in real time to have that feedback to really understand what's happening. But it sounds like at least, you know, looking back, you guys have put some much better testing process in place. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're going to be looking for different signals for the team, which will definitely help, you know, manage this moving forward as well. And I mean, obviously a lot of it's, you know, result of just fast growth and, you know, the pandemic didn't help because obviously the contraction wasn't ideal, but sounds like a lot of positive things. Yeah. I mean, I think right now we are on a good track and, you know, this year we're actually focused on growing a lot more, you know, coming out of COVID, we are in a very strong position. And so I think we actually have the team, the resources now to actually, you know, grow a significant amount over this next year. And, you know, hopefully now that we've recognized these signals and we're aware of them, that, you know, we can do it without basically pushing our team to the brink like we did in the past. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. And, you know, obviously things come up and hopefully the team executes and, uh, you know, gets more efficient. Thanks for coming on and kind of chatting. I mean, I, I know you talked a lot about some of what didn't work and some of what is working. And I think that's great to kind of have that open dialogue. If someone does have a question and wants to maybe pick your brain on learning lessons, uh, are you open to somebody connecting on LinkedIn or Twitter to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think the LinkedIn is probably the best way for them to connect with me. Actually, you could probably just find me through Googling Josh Trebensky. I am the only Josh Trebensky I found on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> the last name is S-C-H-E-R-B-E-N-S-K-I. I always have to spell it out because no one can figure that one out. But yeah, that's probably the best way for people to uh, connect with me. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure we include that in the show notes so somebody can just find you. Uh, yeah, definitely tricky last name, but uh, it's easier to say than to spell. So you taught me that one earlier. That is for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing. I, I think it was great hearing kind of what you guys have done in the last you know, year. It sounds like it's been a lot of positive. So appreciate you doing that. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. And I'm glad that you know things worked out the way they did. But yes, this last year has been... Uh, I feel like it's been 10 years. <laughs> there you go. Common theme. But uh, thanks for being on. And yeah, hopefully uh, if people reach out, they'll connect with you and kind of uh, you'll be able to share some more information with them. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. If anyone does have a question, follow up with Josh on LinkedIn. Otherwise, thanks for listening. And we'll be back again with another guest, another set of topics. Two things I always ask for. One, please share the podcast with somebody that you think might find it useful or interesting. I think uh, the organic growth has been great from that perspective. So appreciate you guys doing that. And secondly, hit me up on LinkedIn if there's a topic you want me to find a guest for. I'm always happy to do that. Otherwise, until next time, thanks. 